American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. And hello, movie lovers. So today, I actually have a special guest with me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be interviewing director Maria Peek for her documentary film, Sex Torsion, A Hidden Pandemic. I did a review on it a couple of days ago, and this is just one of those documentary films that I think that is going to stick with people and it's going to resonate with people. So let's go ahead. Let's get on with the show. I'm excited for Maria to be here. So let's do it. And how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. You're very welcome. And I just want to say thank you again so much for sharing this documentary with me, allowing Tom to actually submit this into me. This means so much as someone that reviews films and documentaries and things like that. I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. So my thing is this. Uh, at the very be- Now, whenever I was thinking of this film, the reason, the reason why I chose this is because in the early 90s and 2000s, Internet was becoming the thing. It was becoming the dial-up internet. It was actually something that was small, that was just starting out. We had the Yahoo chat room games. We had AOL. We had all that stuff. It's not as big as it was now with you have social networking. You have all these apps rolled into one thing that can be dangerous to teenagers, especially when... You know, it's easier back in the 90s and early 2000s where parents can actually use safety controls to block certain websites because of the fact that it's not mobile. You're not taking it with you. You have your cell phone now. You're able to move with it. So that makes it even all that more dangerous. And I'm happy at how you did that where it was like the kids in the back car, in the back seat, and you're describing the dangers of this person talking to this person's daughter while they're driving and allowing them into an open space in the back seat with their daughter, basically, without even th- any consent or even them knowing. So I thought that was very clever on how you actually use that. And also, too, I was actually, like I said, in the green room. This The reason why I chose this, too, was because I was actually part of this whole entire cyber thing that happened to me. It didn't carry on that far because I actually had parents that actually cared about me and family members that cared about me to the point where it's like, hey, look, what are you doing? You need to stop and think what you're doing because you're a teenager. You don't understand what you're feeling. You think you know mm-hmm. what you're feeling, but you're not feeling those things that you are. So my, my, my first question coming out of the gate is this. Where did the idea resonate with you as to do this documentary? What made you say, you know what, this thing, this thing needs to be heard. I read about this person's story and it needs to be turned into a documentary. So uh, because of the success, our first two documentaries for our production company, me and my husband worked together. Uh, they ended up as premium content on Netflix and they were extremely successful. So we get pitched a lot of ideas. So one of the ideas that was pitched to us was from Southern California, was this old grandmother who basically participates in the anti-human trafficking task force. And she, you know, finds the criminals online and offline and helps police catch them. So that was the idea of this documentary. So we started talking to the charity called Million Kids about mm-hmm. making this film. And then unfortunately, COVID hit and we were basically trapped on the East Coast. We couldn't travel to the West Coast. We're both producers, uh, members of Producers Guild of America. So there was a lot of restrictions of if we were shooting, what, how we could shoot and what could happen. So we started 
researching and looking for a case that would be local to East Coast. And uh, we started talking to Department of Justice and Homeland Security, and somebody brought this case to us, Daniel Harris case, and they said it reads like a thriller, and you should look into this because it illustrates everything on a granular level. And that's how we basically started turning the movie around from anti-human trafficking film, which we later found about 50 different documentaries on human trafficking, to film about online crimes against children, cyber crimes and sextortion specifically. And there was nothing like that um, ever done. And we also have uh, two kids that are 11 and 14 now. At that time, they were nine and 12 when we were starting this film. And we realized with COVID, everybody was going online. All the schools were going online. And we were looking at the data and we were completely horrified because we realized uh, and every agent we talked to told us it's 1,000% more prevalent. It's extortion versus human trafficking. But most people don't know what sextortion is and how easily it can happen to any child anywhere. And so I felt compelled to make this film. And it's kind of like a legacy project. You have to come to a point, you know, you make a movie that changes lives, that saves kids, um, that has to make a dent in this crime. And that's why we made it. You see, I think that's fascinating because of the fact that it's so real because of the fact that this stuff is still going on today. And, and even in the matter of fact of the documentary itself, where basically you have people uh, in having this huge organization to stop this going on and mm-hmm. there's not enough people to actually do this. So it's like an, so it's over a billion people probably that's, this is happening to, and now they need to hire X amount of other people to try and stop this crime from even happening. And that's just sad. And also too, it just goes to show you how ugly the world actually is whenever you're dealing with someone like this. The other thing I didn't like was the douchebag guy that, that they tracked down through the IP address. Mm-hmm. He was only concerned with, Hey, look, I'm in Navy. I'm in the Navy. I don't need this. I need this squashed. I'm like, dude, you just broke a law here. You just cross boundaries that you should not be crossing. You asked a teenager who's underage to show her her chest, and then you wind up blackmailing her into doing what you wanted to do. You have every, here's the thing you have no rights after that. You have every, that person has every right to go ahead and po- plaster his face all over the news and media outlets to show them who he actually is. And I don't care if his life is ruined or anything like that because of the fact he ruined this girl's life. And lives actually 300 mm-hmm. plus, yeah, more than one, definitely more than one. And yeah. the thing to me was now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't this also tracked outside the United States as well through Hong Kong, which is Japan. really, yeah, Japan? That's what I thought. And that's just that's just creepy to know that this guy went all the way across the other side of the world to do this to somebody. It makes my skin crawl to know that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's unfortunately this was just a one case, but this cases happen every day. We just finished the twenty city tour of our documentary, and we literally had hundreds of people, thousands of people. We screened it to over six thousand people across the country, and every single screening, we had somebody stand up and say, "It is happening to me," or "It's happening to my best friend," or "It just happened to our son." 
who just told us this weekend this is happening to him. So literally, if you take a sample of like, let's say movie theater sits 300 people, you always have several cases stand up and tell you that. So that tells you that it's happening across board, no matter where. And to kids, all kind of ages, we had 12 year olds, we had 17 year olds, mm -hmm. we had boys, we had girls, different, you know, ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds. It actually doesn't matter to the criminals. And that's why it's the film is universal in a sense that people need to understand this crime can happen to any child as mm -hmm. long as they're online. That's the only criteria for this crime to happen, for the child to be online and for their pro social profile to be open so that the other predators can talk to them or strangers. Exactly. And it's actually hard to block a predator from being online because of the fact that you have all these apps here. And you are not able to do what we did back in the early 90s and 2000s, is which is do parental controls. And you're, guess what? You, what? The kid can't take a desktop with them. They can't take a laptop with them because they actually need to hook it up to a telephone line to dial out. Because at that time, it wasn't DSL and all this wireless stuff. So it's actually hard to get in contact with with somebody on that outside line. Versus now, where everything's all accessible. There's, no, there's boundaries that need to be... that people can cross now. And to be honest with you, I don't know how they can actually get it to where, you know, those boundaries, even though you have uh, the age limits and stuff like that, but who can, who can say they can't manipulate that age factor like this guy did and pretend that that person is a 16, 17 year old kid when he's actually a 30, 40 year old man behind the screen. And that's just sad to not be able to give your kids the access that they want to have because of these people out on this Internet, because they're not there for the kids values. And even in your documentary, the way it said is this, if, you're, if the kids ticked off at the parents, they're, then they're going to go ahead and vent to that person because of the fact that they think that they're, that's their age. Next thing you know, that gives them access into the kids' minds to where it's basically saying that the parent is the villain. And therefore, they're they're going to end up doing a whole three sixty on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just they know how to manipulate children, and it's a crime of opportunity too. Now we have the whole extortion rings, not just individuals that used to like you know do a bank scam out of Nigeria. Now they have extortion rings out of Nigeria and Ivory Coast. The specifically trained, it's like twelve men or ten men that are targeting kids. And they get a revealing image, and then they target them for money. And so it they actually turned it into a crime of opportunity for money because it's so easy. It's not that hard for them to fool kids. Yeah. No, because like you said, they can go after the music taste, go after the profile. Oh, you like this movie? You like this? You like this kind of music? You and then they're looking at their profile. Like, okay, now I know how to build up this profile to make myself be able to connect with that person and to gain their trust. Once they gain their trust, it's all—it's unlimited everything, unlimited access for them into this person's life, and yeah. that's just sad. Uh, and like I said, like you said before, even teenage boys are also being into this kind of environment though too because i was actually one of those kids that winded up being was one of those kids at one time and mm -hmm. luckily i had a friend named rocky who was actually older than me much older than me it was my aunt's friend and he's like look i'm going to teach you everything i know about computers but i need to show you what you need to be careful of and at that time he didn't know i was actually talking to somebody online and then once he found out he's like look you need to stop this 
because this person is not who they say they are. You can't guarantee it, even though you think it is. It's not who it is. And to be honest with you, I think that kids today, they actually need that guidance of saying, hey, look, this is we need to protect you. And you need to look at what you're doing and analyze the situation before it gets worse. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I found that was really fascinating to me was the IP, the way that the cops are able to go into that system, to unlock their phones, unlock the perps phones and to be able to look and see what they have. And I think that I, I never knew that they had that tool, but it actually makes sense now because Walmart has that thing where you can recycle your phone. And if your power's off, they can turn it back on and they probably have that same kind of technology in a sense to where they can turn it back on and look at every single text message that that person sent. So, you know, I, th I find that very fascinating. I'm happy that, you know, there's other, other means of technology that actually help the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the whole idea behind the film is to educate parents, to educate kids. The more kids see, the more parents see, the more they can know, you know, this can happen. This is the red flags. This is what you look out for. And this is how you don't get caught in this. Um, because the more they know, the more we can prevent this from happening. Because once they've been caught in this, it's much harder to catch the predators and also to heal all the trauma that, you know, happens from all this crime. So um, unfortunately, the, the Homeland Security and FBI have seen a lot of teenage boys' suicides lately connected to this extortion because... They don't know how to solve it. Nobody told them how to solve it or what to do in these cases. And they don't know how to end it. So they end it badly because that's the only way they, they can figure out the way out of the situation because they find themselves without options. And so that's why we want people to know there are options. There are options to take the images down. There are options to catch these people. There are options to report. And also that they're not alone. This is happening to millions of kids around the, you know, the world, basically. And... Um, uh, so that the people know, you know, like it's kind of a, an awareness campaign in a sense, this documentary. But it's also a true crime film that keeps your attention. And, you know, it's not a lecture. It's an interesting movie that, you know, keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time because it's literally like a thriller. Yeah, it does feel like a thriller in a sense. It kind of reminds me of those Netflix documentaries that you would actually watch on like an episodic kind of documentary kind of style of like, are they going to be able to catch this man? Are they going to be able to convict this person? And then when you get into the whole entire plot points of the fact that, oh, this guy even went further outside the United States boundaries. He reached uh, like, like we said before, he reached overseas and who would have thought that he would actually reach that far? And then of course you go from that, then over to the court cases and then the trial Mm -hmm. And I thought I like the setup on how you brought that out, where you have the setup of the plot point where you have this one teenage girl. And we think that is just centered on that one teenage girl. And then all of a sudden you throw us in. Oh, that's just not the only person that they tar he targeted. He also targeted this person overseas. And then then you also use another example where there is a teenage. It can be a teenage boy. You have a way of actually telling a story to where we're engaged in and we're dialed into. This is going to be something that I feel like people are going to gravitas towards. And this move, this documentary is going to have legs and it's going to, and it's already having legs based off the success that you're having with it. And I commend you for that because like I said, if it's, if you're able to have that connectability with people, not only for as fact of, 
being where people can say, oh, look, I was once that person or, you know, I can relate to this because this is happening to me now. Or you even have the people who are just basically into true crime type stuff, too. So you're targeting three different layers here. That's that's something that I appreciate here. You have layers to this film where, okay, you may not be connected in with the sex torture or anything like that. It's not You may not be a victim here. But we also have something that's also for the people that love watching documentaries. And that's something that speaks volumes to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely wanted to keep the true crime in it because honestly, he did a lot more stuff than you can even imagine. And I had to cut it out of the film to keep the film down to a certain, you know, measurable kind of length. Um, yeah, we, we wanted to, you know, give the elements of true crime and then a little tiny bits of, educational pieces and just to expand people's minds how this can happen in different ways it doesn't always happen in one way it can happen in different ways but the mo is always the same like they always pretend to be underage they always target a child they pretend to like them they pretend to be their friend they somehow get an image out of them and then they turn that's just sad and i just hate for kids to go through something like this and you know, I like the hard work that you, and the dedication that you put towards this. And my question was this. I know that you said during the pandemic and all that stuff, but how long did it take for you to gather all this information and stuff like that, too? That's something that I wanted I wanted to know. So usually it takes us about 12 months to make a film. We mm-hmm. really fast. It took twice as long just because um, of pandemic, not being able to travel by airplane the first part of 2020 until we got the vaccines. Uh, to do one interview at a time. We had to use artists in Ukraine who could, you know, take the photographs of the prosecutors and then draw courtroom scenes and then we would animate them instead of, you know, doing reenactments inside the courtrooms because we couldn't shoot inside the courtrooms in 2020. Um, Then later, uh, in 2022, we were able to go and reshoot some of the parts that you saw the reenactments, but we couldn't do it in 2020. Um, because you couldn't have people on set together right. vaccinated. That was just a nightmare. Um, so we had to be very creative. So it took twice as long, uh, but we were kind of determined to get this done. Um, you know, looking at our kids, looking at all their friends, some of their friends are on social media. It actually happened. Um, the beginning of extortion happened to our daughter's friend who was playing a Roblox game. And she was 11 at the time, their friend. And some guy came to her and said, I will invite you to a private chat room. And then he showed her inappropriate videos in that chat room. She didn't even know. And her parents didn't even know you could go to a private chat room inside the Roblox game. And then she had to go for counseling during COVID. So it was very personal to us because we could see effects of this on a person who is like 11 years old and shouldn't have to go for this and should never have to go for this. Mm -hmm. Just Roblox game and having fun and you know building little cities and little castles a little girl should never have to deal with this and so it was very sad to see and kind of kept us going you see that's that's another thing I want to mention is the fact you're dealing with a child who has innocence in them and then you're dragging them down to the point of depression and then once this person that was so innocent, full of life, is now basically darkened because of what happens and the repercussions of that, it it breaks my heart to no end and know that someone that around that age 
is going through that. And then they don't know who to go to either because they're afraid that their parents are going to yell at them or whatever. And they don't want to get yelled at. They don't, their whole entire anxiety, like you said, they're not able to sleep or anything like that. They have the anxiety of that. They're going to have the anxiety of the fact that this perpetrator is actually going to upload their pictures and things like that. So you have all this anxiety rolled up into one person, uh, onto one thing to the point where it's like, who do I run to? Who do I trust? So Mm -hmm. uh, you definitely captured that part in the right kind of context. I just want to point that out. But the courtroom stuff, to me, when you were talking about the drawings, I thought those were actually legitimate courtroom drawings, the way that it was drawn. Because I'm like, that that was pretty detailed. That was detailed to a T. That, uh, kudos for that. Because I, was, because I was thinking, okay, this is actually feels like a courtroom way of actually doing things, the drawings and things like that. So I'm actually sucked into that. I'm like, wait, is, and I was even going through my mind, is that actual courtroom drawings or is this something that was just used for the production of it? And I thought that was what you just said just blew my mind because I thought that was actually legitimate. So, well, you know, it is, it is the actual courtroom. It is the actual people who are there. It's just that okay. it was created for the purposes of the film. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, not a problem. I just want to make sure I'm tracking with you right. So, um, but yeah, I, the amplifications of something like this to happen to a t- young girl, and then or to a or to a guy or a little boy, for instance, as well, is also heartbreaking as well because of the fact that no one should have to go through with all those anxieties. And then when the guy's like, "Oh, it's up to fifty percent. Don't you go on ahead, do what I tell you to do, or otherwise this photo is going to be uploaded to every single social media outlet they can think of." And as a matter of fact, I think. Um, one of it was actually sent up to um, a sex website, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, there are several cases in the film. So one case that in Canada, it happened in Canada that's unrelated to the case that we are showing, uh, that actually the guy just got convicted and brought from Netherlands uh, in Amanda Todd's case. Uh, he did upload her images to all kinds of websites, and she did take her own life, and it's been 10 years since that happened and only now he was extradited and only now he was convicted and guilty and given a sentence on only 13 years because Canada is much lighter on the sentences than the U.S. And now he's sent back to Netherlands. And I think, unfortunately, they might reduce his sentence over there, but um, at least he was convicted here in, in, well, he was convicted in Canada and he was given the longest sentence in history and it set a precedent a precedent that um, basically anybody who's trying to do something like that to a child in Canada now is going to get the longest uh, jail sentence possible. I'm glad that someone's going to get the longest jail sentence here because I feel like this. How do you go ahead as a judge, look at that family and be like, well, I'm only going to let him off light. And he, my kid was ta- my my kid's life was taken away for crying out loud. How do I get my kid's life back? That's not, that is not, my kid is gone. My, and also, too, what, what if the person is still alive and they're still going through that depression and that anxiety? It's like, how do I explain to my daughter or my son who's doing all this and going through the motions of this? How do you look? them in the eye and say sorry kid um he's gonna get a one-year sentence for example and he's just gonna get a slap on the wrist how do you get that person got their life back but this kid over here or the kid's life that that person took 
mm-hmm. between the mental abuse and everything, you can't get that back, no matter what you do. And it's yeah. Here it's much longer sentences in the U.S. They are much longer. They're like fifty years, forty years. In other countries, it's not the same, so they don't prosecute it with the same severity. Um, but here in the U.S., it is pretty long sentences, so he's not getting out anytime soon. Good. I'm happy to hear that because I feel like it's not fair for the family. It's not fair to anybody else that might have lost a family member or having to even get psychiatric help because of the mental drain that 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 person put on them. So that makes me happy to know that this per- this scumbag is actually in behind bars mm-hmm. and stuff like that, too. As yeah. someone that has two daughters, well, three, I mean, three daughters, I- I'm happy to know that this person's behind bars. But, you know, I, like I said, I think you have something special here. I think that what you what you have is going to grow even more than what you realize. And it just meant so much to me to be able to interview you for this little bit of time here. And I just want to say thank you for being a guest on my show. It means so much to me just to be able to speak out about this film. I wish you a lot of success with what you're doing. You're doing a fantastic job, of course, because if you here's the thing, you actually have people that's coming up to you and say, hey, look, I can relate to it in this situation or you also have people that said, hey, look, I'm enjoying the documentary for what it is and stuff. Keep up the awesome work. So it has legs. You have, you have gravitas. You have great gravitas for people coming in and saying, look, we appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me, too. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to interview you. And anybody that's wondering, uh, there is a link to the review that I did. If you guys want to know what Sextortion is, I just went on ahead, did a bonus episode. I released the audio format today. Honor and a privilege to have you, Maria. And always until next time, guys, stay safe out there and bye-bye.